0: Welcome to Foothills Church, Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Harvey Friesen. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit foothills.org. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you on this holiday weekend. You probably saw the guys there in that video clip. So Quinn and Jake and Carson uh, and Jesse went out. They've been doing all this video that we're doing, Pastor Doug's uh, Salty Pastor uh, podcasts, all the video you see on Sunday morning, etc. And Finn has joined our team uh, this month as well. And so uh, anyway, you saw that picture. They did actually get up and go, went out and got some uh, video footage in the Redwoods and other places like that to share with us over the course of the next year. This weekend, on a holiday weekend, I'm not sure if you, you think about it or not, but I, I tend to think about it. And part of it is is that in the ministry, you're always meeting people in different moments of their lives. And sometimes you're meeting them on weekends in difficult moments of their lives. And there's a group of people I just want to recognize and thank. The, the police officers, the firefighters, the first responders, those people that work at the hospital, they're sitting in emergency rooms right now, that are nurses and doctors that are looking after people on these holiday weekends. Thank you. Thank you. For some of you, you're in attendance here. Amen, right? They do that. For your families, thank you that you also participate and serve us and love us. We are very, very grateful. Uh, I also want to mention, Pastor Doug spoke to it a little bit a couple weeks ago. Those of you who served for 20 years and those of you who were part of caring for us uh, overseas in Afghanistan and the work you did to save us from terrorists who were coming after us, you did mighty work great work. You worked hard. You gave up life, limb at times, and all kinds of other things to be there to stand on our behalf. That's not a political statement. That's a gratitude statement for a practical thing, and that is people have done that. For those of you who are there, and those of you who are online with us as well, we do not forget, and we are grateful. We're grateful today for what you've done. Amen? Absolutely. 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 You know, Pastor Doug had a vision for what we would do over the course of the summer. And that is we've come out of this COVID sort of like in, out, in, out, a little bit of a funk along the way. COVID iteration one, COVID iteration two, someday there will be COVID iteration 614. I mean, you know, COVID, 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 COVID. And I'm not mocking anything as much as what I'm saying is, is, hey, life comes with calamity. Life comes with calamity. First, uh, First Peter 4.12 says, Do not be surprised at this fiery ordeal that is happening among you, as though some strange occurrence were happening. Life has difficulties, and it comes with difficulties. But Pastor Doug's vision for this Get Up and Go series was literally this. Hey, get up and go. I mean, at some point, you have to actually pick up sticks and say, we're going to go do something. We're going to make our lives. I want to give you this picture uh, as it relates to that. And that is this. If you're old enough to have had a VCR and your VCR, by the way, is still blinking 1200. I mean I can commiserate with you. And I understand your pain and your problem. There's support group four o'clock, Monday's here, room 10. Okay? But here's the point is that COVID almost wants us to all put our hand on the pause button and let those two little parallel signs or two parallel bars stay on the screen of our lives. I'm suggesting to you that history has proven that there will always be something that will want to have you push pause on your life and pause on your faith. Do not do it. Do not do it. Get up and go. Get up and go live that life that God has called on us to live. If we're waiting for that perfect day before we ever hit play on the button, we'll sit there and watch a blank screen for most of our lives. God called us to action. God is a God of action. God is a God of clarity about the action he wants us to live in our lives. And it is truly not a spectator sport to be a follower of Jesus. I know the common thread moving in our culture today is that Christianity is for weak people, people who don't have better resources in their minds and in their lives and in their political networks or their relationship networks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I I would just contend that, you know what, it's Christians that are saying, we're going to keep hitting the play button, we're going to keep going forward in life, we're going to keep caring for people. You probably haven't heard about it, but it's come out in stories even this morning in Afghanistan. Those people who are Christians have come to this conclusion, they're going to kill us anyway. So they're going house to house, sharing the gospel and finding people receiving the Lord Jesus Christ in this very time because they've hit the play button. Amen, right? I mean, they're living that faith. One of the things that you probably don't know about, but you ought to know about is, is that we as a church, you're a part of supporting in that we smuggled money into a Middle East country this last week to care for people that was money to be used for Christians who were dying on the vine that we did that. We'll never name the country. We'll never name the sources. We'll never put all that together. But what you're doing and what I give in tithes, we're doing those kinds of things because it matters and we care about them. It says that we're to be good to all and especially those of the household of faith. Pushing the play button in life is God's idea. The world says, we'll pause. And the world says this, is that what we ought to do is we ought to react rather than proact. Our verses that we began with in this sermon series were 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. And I want you to see it here for just a minute because we started out with this in June on the 27th. And we'll continue and finish with it here now in September. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, which is the basis of the root word for fear, but of power, love, and discipline. God gave us not a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and and discipline. This is a reactionary term of fearfulness. These are proactive terms of forwardness. This is about going and believing in God's power, resting in God's love, so that we will emulate his love to the world, as those Afghan Christians are doing right now to the non-believers in their world. And in doing so, they do it because they have disciplined themselves to be people useful to the master. That is the calling of getting up and going. Now, the model is pretty straightforward and that we've been doing it along the way in this sermon series. And i just asked them if they would list those sermons that we preached during the course of this year. <coughs> Put them on the stage here. And that is this. We started out with get up and go, be intimate. Learn what it means to be intimate with God and intimate with others. There's a biblical purpose and a biblical pattern and a biblical way to do that. Our world teaches superficiality. The Bible teaches intimacy. Knowing and being known, loving and being loved. Then we went out and said, let's have the audacity to believe the Bible that we are called to resolve conflicts. After that, we said, let's go make biblical decisions rather than being ambivalent about life, sort of squishy on life. What would it look like if we went up and made biblical decisions? Then after that, Zach preached two great sermons. One of them about being generous is that Christians get up and go, be generous. That's what those Christians in Afghanistan are doing today is they're being generous with their lives and their faith and their love to other people. Uh, and then he said, by the way, we will also need to persevere through difficulty. How timely could those more timely could those messages be than those? Pastor Doug came back and preached on running to win. And then Zach preached on being a person of prayer because here's the thing. If you're not a person of prayer, Jesse brought it up in the podcast that we did this week about preparing for this Sunday sermon here. And if and hear me on this. Prayer is not about some sanctimonious thing. Prayer is about taking a power cord, plugging into the work of the Holy Spirit of God, getting to know the way of God. And it begins with those perfunctory short prayers. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. I pray that daily. Not because I I'm not Catholic, I'm not, I'm not rote, I'm not living in some structured little process. I, God said, when we're learning to pray or when we're taught to pray, he said, start with this, tell me that I am God and you're not, Harv. That's a great way to start in a narcissistic world, isn't it? It's a great way to start. There is a God, I'm not him. That defeats all that narcissism of the world because everything we're doing right now is in this screen that says, you're the best, you're this, you're that, you're that, whatever. It's really hard to compete with how great you are until what you do is you put it down and you go, How great thou art. Okay? Prayer. Then we talked about learning to repent and what that means, and it means so much more. And by the way, these are all chronicled on the website. Go back and look at them uh, and study them along the way. If you wanted just a hey, how do I live the bookends of a life of faith? You could go back and look and lean look and lean into any one of these biblical teachings, and you would get the fullness of how we walk the faith. Pastor Doug then taught about pursuing joy, and then he taught about being prepared for the end times. Look, I mean. You guys probably know this or don't know this. I don't know. Probably, maybe, maybe not. We live in a very Gentile part of the world. But tomorrow is the beginning of what's called the Feast of the Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets. There are seven big festival days in the Jewish calendar. Okay? The fourth one, the pivot one, is the Feast of the Trumpets, where they blow the trumpet. When you read in 1 Timothy chapter 4 that the return of Christ comes and says, and there will be the trumpet blast, and, he, and the dead in Christ shall rise, and the Lord shall come. Right? There's a lot of biblical scholars, including myself, who think, you know what? That's a really pretty good, good probability that he'll come during the feast of the trumpets because that's when they'll blow the shofar. What does that mean? It's Rosh Hashanah. It's the beginning of the Jewish new year. And that starts tomorrow, going all the way through the fall holy days We are celebrating the coming of the Lord. That's what the Jewish community is doing is the idea of come, Lord. And then they pray for atonement. And then they want uh, the Lord to come and they tabernacle with God. All this is a part of our Christian Jewish historical faith. Today, we're going to talk about going and acting like you believe in Jesus. It's one thing to think all these things. It's another thing to say, okay, I'm going to go do it. I'm going to go do it. I'm not just going to watch the game. I'm actually going to get in the game. And the way we get into the game is that we have a game plan. And if we're in a game plan, here's what a game plan looks like about being proactive, about being intentional, about being biblical, and about being godly. All those things should lead us to this idea that we are proactive versus reactive. We are intentional rather than haphazard or unintentional. We are biblical versus secular. We are godly versus self-centered. And if we walk this game plan... Now, what it leads to is this. This modality leads, if led by the Holy Spirit, creates the family of God. If you look at the Bible, the only thing God gets at the start and the only thing he takes out at the end for all of his work, all of his endeavors, is one thing. He gets a family. First thing God does is create a family. By the way, a family is not mom and dad, and then you have kids, that makes you a family. If you're married as a husband and wife in Christ, that is a biblical family. Children don't make a family. They are a welcome addition to one. That's a biblical truth, okay? Because we should never let, it's not about the kid. The kids don't make us anything. Well, they make us poor, but they don't make us much more than that, right? <laughs> okay, <laughs> enough. Said. Kids don't watch it. Dad was kidding, right? He loves you, really. You are right off, baby. Can't believe it. I get that money for you. We are called to live a proactive faith that leads us in all these things. Here's what the world teaches us to do. Here, this is the play button. Here's what the pause button looks like. Follow with me. It's the opposite of that, is that the world around us, generally speaking, the secular world teaches, be reactive. We'll tell you what to do. Just do what we tell you to do right? We know what's best for you. We'll figure it out for you, okay? We won't, uh, it'll be unintentional in the sense of when you find out, then you'll know, and then we'll tell you what to do. And oh, by the way, don't ask if it makes sense. Just do what we tell you to do, right? World around us, right? It's called peer pressure. And then what is the guiding directive of their life? The guiding directive of their life is a secular worldview. A secular worldview is a humanist worldview. Harvard just initiated or instituted a chaplain who oversees all their chaplains, and he's the first chaplain to be an atheist. Now, I got, I'm a B-plus guy, okay? I mean, Doug is obviously an A-plus guy. I'm a B-plus guy, right? Shouldn't a chaplain be a person who believes in God? I mean, I mean, you know, call me just crazy way out there. I know I'm radical and all those kinds of things. But you know what he did? And I, and I listened to the interview. You know what he said? He, because he believes in humans, more than anything, has the ability to bring all the other faiths together. Yeah, that's going to work. I mean, I love to see what the five milestone markers on that job description are, right? Yeah, can't wait to see that. The secular world says this, you are the high point of everything, and it all revolves around you. Hate to tell you, God disagrees with that. He doesn't believe that. Because a self-centered world is a self-absorbed world. And a self-absorbed world leads to this. A world of winners, most likely losers, and victims. That's what this creates. And if you're seeing it, this is the game plan. I went to the College of Idaho yesterday with my brother Charlie. Charlie's a big-time football player. He won a couple of USER or European championships. We were DOD kids, Department of Defense. My dad was in the military. And so Charlie won a couple of European championships with the Heidelberg Lions. And so we went and watched the football game and Charlie loves football and we were watching the game. And College of Idaho started out really strong, up 17 to 7 yesterday. They were rolling, uh, really doing really well. Now the other team, you know, they were a good team too and they, were, they, had, they sure were not giving up. And one of the reasons I love watching sports is I love the tenacity of watching people come from behind. Because what happens is, it's that at that point where discipline takes over. It's that where the love of the game and the passion of the game comes out or doesn't come out. It's at that point where what you see is is that you don't have a spirit of timidity, but you have a spirit of power that says, we work too hard for this. So being the guy that I am, and, you know, I'm always looking for material if I'm preaching the next day, right? And so, uh, so I'm standing in there, and I go behind the, the bench of the other team when they're down 17 to 7, and there's a guy walking around going, hey, you can do this, we can do this, we can do this. Dial it all forward. The other team won 33 to 30. The last play of the game was a blocked field goal. If they make the field goal, it goes into overtime, and who knows what can happen in overtime, and that team came all the way back and fought their way back. I wasn't rooting for them or against the College of Idaho. I was there to watch human dynamic, and what I would suggest to you is this. While it looks like Christianity is taken in the teeth, and we're down 70 to nothing, I'm here to tell you we are in the game. I've read the end of the book. Pastors get special Bibles, if you don't know this, but I have read the end of the book. We win. I'm not going to tell you the score. I don't know when the game ends. I don't know what day it is, but I do know this. There's going to be a trumpet blast. We're going to be wearing the right jersey, okay? So keep the jersey on, right? Keep the jersey on. Absolutely. Get up and go Is your pastorate looking at you and saying, don't look at the scoreboard. Remember why we play the game. Play the game. I don't look at the scoreboard of how the world is doing as to decide whether I'm gonna love Shadley or not love Shadley, whether I'm gonna love my kids or not love my kids. I don't look at the scoreboard to decide how I'm gonna play the game. I play the game with the tenacity of the scripture that was put before us. Today, we're gonna to look at that tenacity and that tenacity is found in uh, James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26, he gives an important instruction about how we live this game, and it's right here. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, mental assent, you have an idea, okay, is that you go, yeah, there is a God, uh, but don't show it by your actions. What good does it to do to wear the jersey, but to not get into the game? Right? What good does it do to have the jersey? I saw an incredible amount of people that were wearing jerseys that were built more like me at the game yesterday. I gotta tell you something, they were not in the game. They were wearing jerseys, but they were not in the game. They had their name on the back, they were sweating because it was a little hot out there on the field, and all like that. They were not in the game. I love the way that football is. Here's, here's what pro football is. It's 22 people giving everything they have with every ounce and fiber of energy that they have being screamed at by 75,000 people who are sitting on their rear ends and haven't been to the gym in four months. That's also Christianity. It's people saying, we're going to be in the game, and even if we get pounded on, even if we take some hits, we are going to walk that walk of faith. We're going to have the belief that is a faith in God that is demonstrated by we strap it on and we get after it. We have the actions that follow up with the faith. Can, and then here's his rhetorical question. Can that kind of faith save anyone? Wearing a jersey, can, does that make you a player? Suppose you see a brother or a sister who has no food or who has no clothing, and you say goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or any clothing. What good does that do? The most practical place he starts with is this. When you see a need in your life, do you go, man, somebody ought to do something about that. I remember when I was in, in high school, I played high school football. Uh, we were a state championship team. And, and uh, our coach, when he was trying to make a point, he'd go, hey, freezing, you threw a lookout block. I go, what's a lookout block? says, you turn around and look at the running back and say, look out, that guy's about to cream you. <laughs> having a faith but not having actions is throwing a lookout box that says, man, it's really bad what's going on in the world. God's sitting there going, I put you there. Do something. First place we do something is the practical needs of other people. Everyone in this room, no matter what your spiritual gift is, no matter what your calling is, you and I are all called, if you're wearing a jersey, to be hospitable to others. That's the baseline. That's the bottom line. That's the the beginning of it. That's the notion of someone wants a shirt, give me your jacket, too. Someone wants you to go a mile, go two, right? I mean, it's all those things. That's biblical faith and how it's to be played out. Look what it says if you go just a little bit further. So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is, get this, not my words, his words, dead and useless. It's useless. It says it, it just doesn't have Value The Christian faith is a Christian faith where you're handed a violin, a lab coat, a jersey, an outfit, a whatever, and said, go do it. Go be in it. Marriage is the same way. Marriage isn't just having a ceremony and, you know, ceremony and cohabitating for the next 35, 40 years or however many years you live on your life. Marriage is about saying, I commit to do these things. I wear this because I do these things. See, life is about actions. You all agree with me as well, anyhow, right? When we say to someone, you know, your words are really nice, but your actions speak louder than your. Wow, that seems to be something that we all agree on, right? Where'd that come from? Our God is the God who said that. Words are nice, but actions count. Actions count. See, we use two fancy words to bring that together. We use the word orthodoxy, which is right thinking, coupled with orthopraxy, which is right doing. The gospel life was always called on to be those two things orthodoxy, right thinking, coupled with orthopraxy, right living, that we would do them. Now, if you want to do that game, and I know there's a silly little theological game that some of you might want to do, especially if you're really good at theology and if you're one of the people out there on YouTube that's, you know, just can't wait to write us an email, and I know you're going to write, you know, and you go, well, no, your works save you, or does. Here's what I would say to you We are called to think the right truths of God and to live out the right truths of God. And in that process, we are working out our, f- our salvation with what? Fear and trembling. Are we saved by our works? No. Are we saved by the work of Jesus Christ? Absolutely yes. If you want to have that little argument, what you're really doing is, is that you're stalling the game, and at some point, the, the, the referee is going to go like this. Right? delay a game all right confession I'll take uh, you can hear it from me for a moment yesterday I'm at the game The, the referee is talking to one of the players about a play and out of my soul blurts out this is not a coffee shop talk about it later get on with the game if my wife were there yeah a little elbow maybe a little shot to the knee maybe a little come here we need to talk for a minute. No. But I, but I was just sitting there going, you don't you don't chat about it out there. You get after and get after it. Right? That's what we're called to do. We live it out. Bible uh, orthodoxy, living out orthopraxy. The living out of your faith is the best way to know that you actually have one. Here's a disease that's rolling around among the Christian world today. Am I really a believer? Am I really saved? Am I really going to heaven? Because do I really know if I'm going to heaven? I mean, got to do this start with the Google. You know, you start filling in words and they don't fill in words for you. All right, how do I know I'm really saved is one of the first one that comes up. I give you a practical illustration of it all is this. You got a jersey on and you're in the game. Okay, your works don't save you, but what your works say to you, you know what, God's doing a work in my life. Fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. That is God's demonstrated work of he's working through you. You're in the game. You're going after it. (coughs) If we were all in the Middle East right now, and let's say that two or three of us were put on a stage and they were there to try us for whether we were Christians or not. What would they look at? Would they look at our words or would they look at our actions? You know, the Chinese Communist Party, when they deal with Christians who are in the underground church, they know who's in those churches and they follow them and they keep tabs and all those sorts of things. You know what's so interesting is that they don't really care about you or bother with you if all you do is go to the meetings. But if you decide to do this action called baptism, then you're on a list, It's interesting that even a secular humanist institution says you really don't mean it unless your life starts to reflect it. You really don't mean it unless you actually get on the field. That's interesting, isn't it? Even the Communist Party believes what this is saying. So we move forward here for just a second and and we we talk about what Pastor Doug and I were kind of looking into and what we're talking about here is, is our faith acts. So let's look at the next verses. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith. Again, here's the word argue. Let me give you a little tip, okay? In the times we're living, 20 years ago, maybe you could get away with it. In the times we're living in, when it comes to arguing, you should stop using, if you use this, stop using this. Don't use the word devil's advocate anymore because they're fully employed in that office, okay? I just want you to know they are so full. they've got they've got people waiting outside the door to get in for that job. The devil does not need any more advocates. We need a few more Jesus advocates. Amen. Okay? Let's be Jesus advocates, not devil advocates. So you may argue some people have faith, others may argue that they have good deeds. In other words, it's a Uh, one or another, right? A dichotomy. It's a false dichotomy, though. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have any good deeds to demonstrate your faith? I will show you my faith by my good deeds, verse 18. Verse 19, you say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. The Bible almost kind of like looks at you and kind of says, good for you. But the demons even believe that there is a God, too, and they tremble. Believing that there is a God is not the salvation point. Living that he is the God in our lives is. And they tremble and tear. Verse 20 says this. How foolish can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Now, look, there's a slow pattern developing here, okay? There's a slow pattern that's saying you got to put them together. You guys have caught that, right? In the middle of all my silly talk up here, I mean, somewhere you've seen that faith and actions come together. They come together. But you know that already. It's because the people in your life, you expect them to have faith coupled with actions. Someone, You ever been somewhere with someone and they introduce you as, your, as their friend and you go, I don't even know you. We live in a world that throws and banties around the word friend all the time right now because we don't actually understand the difference between a friend and an acquaintance and an acquaintance from the person we just met about four minutes ago. Why? Because we live in such a superficial age, you know, and I don't know who said it, but superficiality is the curse of our age, right? We live in such a superficial age that we say words we don't mean to try to describe things we don't understand because we feel so lonely, we can barely stand it. See that? And God's saying, you want what I want. You want words that count. And the way they count is that they count in actions. We don't want half-hearted relationships. We don't want half-hearted friendships. We don't want half-hearted marriages. We don't want a half-hearted life. In fact, half-hearted feels to us like someone saying something pejorative about our lives. We think that way and we want people to be our friends because we want people to actually know who we are and then we actually have something real going on. That is is a biblical outline of faith. He goes on to give an illustration about the guy named Abraham. I'm sure you've, re- you've read about him. Let's read about Abraham here. Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered up his son at the altar? Let me paint the picture for just a moment about what's going on here. All the culture around them did child sacrifice. Abraham came from the land of of Ur on the Chaldees, which meant he came from modern-day Iraq. He came from the area where the Tower of Babel had been built. Okay, so you had Nimrod, the king out there, who built the Tower of Babel. And they took great confidence in the idea that they could do what? and you probably haven't thought about the Tower of Babel like this before, but think about it like this with me for just a moment, is that the Tower of Babel was built right after the flood, and they built it right after the flood, so they built this big tower so that what? The most honored among them would never be uh, um, vulnerable to the floods of God. That's what it was. They were saying, look at this great big tower we built. God can't drown us now. Now. And God said, okay, well, what I'll do is I'll confuse you, and I'll change all the languages, and I'll mess, and I'll just, you know, I'll stir a little bit. Because God does what God wants to do. So you get to Abraham. He's called to do this. To what? Offer his son Isaac on the altar. And he says, well, that's what all the pagans do. I guess my God does the same thing, because he's kind of getting to know his God. And his God comes in and says, no, 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 hold on, wait a minute. I, I wanted to see if you would trust me to that point. I have provided. The word Jehovah Jireh comes in right here at this place when you go back in the Old Testament is that God stands in and provides. But here's the important point. Abraham believed and he actually was willing to bring his actions forward if God led him to do that. And what the world told uh, the pagans around him to do, our God said, no, 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 life is precious. Stop, bring it back. This This kid's life matters. So we see that with Abraham. That's an illustration of this. But then there's another thing that goes on. Go ahead and scroll forward with the verses. You see, his faith and his actions work together. His actions made his faith complete. Here's the sneaking suspicion that a lot of us have is that we're just short of complete in our faith. We're just short. You know that feeling where you go... I should be doing something more. I should be engaging something more. I want to give you a simple little practice to put into your life in real and meaningful ways. Lord, I am available today to serve you by serving and then put in a name. Okay. Here's what most of us do in a marriage. We want a perfect spouse. We want them to be perfect. We want uh, us to be C plus. We want them to be A plus. And so, cause we want to all say, yeah, we married up, outpunted our coverage and all this. But we really kind of like the idea. Of we'll give C plus effort, but get a, a plus results from the other guy, right? Or the gal right? Well, here's a great way to begin in life. Whether you're a parent, whether you're a spouse, whether you're a person who's a coworker, find out whatever name you want to put in here. And that is this, God, I know that you love blank. I'm going to use mine. God, I know that you love Shadley. I make myself available to you today to love her as you want her to be loved. In Jesus name. Amen. You want to pray a prayer that will get answered, that prayer will get answered. I'll give you two prayers. That that prayer always gets answered. The second prayer always gets answered is this one Lord, I know there are people in the world that I will contact today and be in relationship with some form or fashion today that don't know your love and are outside of it. I make myself available to share your gospel with them, whether I buy them a meal, whether I help them up when they fall down, whether I let them go in traffic, whether I whatever small, great, or little deed that I do, you today, I want to be an ambassador of you. in the world around me he will answer that prayer just go do those two things your life will dramatically change if you're not doing that already by just praying those simple prayers because a lot of us kind of wait around and go well, i don't know what should i do that's reactive be proactive he was proactive he stepped forward and he lived his faith his actions and his faith came together to demonstrate that he had a complete faith now there's another one in here um Well, we continue on, and so it happened. Just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called a friend of God. Abraham went so far to put everything out on the line; he was called a friend of God. There's only two people in the Bible that are called a friend of God. Now, I want you to see somebody else in the Bible that's mentioned here, because as a Bible person like myself, where you're teaching and preaching, you go, "Okay, that's good." And I preach that, and I preach that, and you preach that. And there's always a verse in there. You go, "Now, why would he put that one in there?" Here's the one about why would he put that one in there. Look at this next verse that comes uh, in verse 25. Rahab the prostitute is another example. I told you on the the A plus person gets that automatically. The B plus person goes, hey, Doug, what does that mean? (laughs) Why did they they bring in a prostitute to this game? No, I'm I'm just joking. But think think this out for a second. We have actions going on here by Abraham. We go, yeah, yeah, great. And then we go to to Rahab and we go, what? A prostitute? Why is a prostitute talked about? And socially, we all look at that, and we have some ascribed ideas that go along with that. But before you get too judgmental on that word, hang with me and hear the whole rest of the story, okay, for just a second. So 12 times in the Bible, Rahab is mentioned, and she's mentioned... um, after she does something, let's look at where she does this. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. So here you were in the city of Jericho. The spies had gone in, their lives were on the line. God had commanded them to go in to check out the land, to come back to the people before they entered the promised land. And Rahab, who was in that city, gave them safety and refuge. Hear me on this is that while she was a prostitute, she had faith in God. She had faith in God, but she didn't have the actions that followed. Her life up until that point was this. I believe there is a God, and if God ever calls on me, I'll do something, but he hasn't called on me. And by the way, I have only one skill set, one resource, one asset, if you will. And that one asset, one resource, one skill set I have is I can sell myself to make it through. She said, I believe in God, but I don't trust God to take care of my life. Her chosen way of, God take, not of, her chosen way of taking care of her own life was, I'll use my body. That's what she was resourced with. In a, in a man's world, in a dog-eat-dog world, oftentimes that's exactly the scenario of where a woman is left, is I have one thing left to do. So when you see people in the Bible and it says this about them, they simply were saying, I, I do this or I don't have any food and I die. But something happened in her life when she came upon this moment where these two spies were there and they had a need and God called her to the moment where she had a faith in her head where he now said, if you really do believe in me, you're gonna put your life on the line by looking after these two guys. I want you to draw a couple of parallels with me on this. What's very fascinating about Rahab's story is that it it shows us that we can believe things about God. Pardon my French. I don't mean it as a French word. I mean as an English word, but we can live however the hell we want to, creating our own hell. I mean, I don't think she wanted to be a prostitute. I don't know any any prostitutes, but I don't know any people that I think would be prostitutes that really want to be one. They're going, it's this or die, right? I have no other way. And there are plenty of guys that are taking up that half of the deal, right? I mean, we always talk about these gals, but where are the guys in the deal, right? I mean, they're unemployed if the guy didn't show up. They're in full employment too right now. Here's the picture that we ought to take away as Bible believers. We live in a world that says you can believe whatever you want and you can do whatever you please. Are you living that way? Because if you are, your life is not complete in Christ. Are you living that way and saying, I love God on Sundays, but I'm going to do whatever the hell I want to do all during the rest of my life. See, then your life is not complete. You haven't gotten up and gone. You've gotten up and said, I'll take it from here and thank you very much. See, that's actually not faith. That's faith in yourself. It's only faith to believe that says, you know, if it all goes to bad, maybe at that point I'll do the right thing. She is commended for the fact that when, when the rubber hit the road, she did this. Now look at the last verse. It's, I mean, he, he knows our, our, our abilities and our ways and all like that, and, he's, and he finishes up the whole teaching with this. Oh, by the way, let me tell you one more time. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works, without good works. We were called to get up and go, get up and go. If you've been allowing yourself to slip a little bit, if you've been allowing yourself to go, I don't have to get up and go. I just need to get up and go to church, right? And get up and go. And they'll tell me a few more things and I'll feel better. And I'm going to go do whatever I want to do after that. But, uh, Hey, move that from an incongruent does not equal sign to a congruency sign and build congruence in your life that says, I want to complete faith because I got to tell you, I don't think the world's going to get easier. I think it's going to get worse. I think that we're only at the beginning of it. I think it's going to get more difficult. I have read those parts in the book. I don't know where we're at in the chronology, but here it is. To be ready, you got to be full of faith and to be full of faith means you got to have faith and say it with me, actions, actions, they count, they matter. There's a really great Latin saying, I'd love to put it up here for you, um, that, that comes along with this. There's a Latin phrase, and it's this Audentes fortuna juat. Audentes fortuna juat. It means this Fortune favors the bold. Fortune favors the bold. When you go to that verse that we started out with back 11 weeks ago in June, where it was 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says that God did not give us a spirit of timidity. Timidity is the opposite of boldness. Timidity is the notion of reactive versus proactive. Boldness is the idea of this, is that audentis, audentis. if we come back to that, is that audentis fortuna uvat means fortune favors the bold. If you're going to be a follower of Christ, you're going to be made fun of. You're going to be mocked. You're going to be talked about behind your back. But you know what's so really weird? I found that non-believers still talk about other people, still mock them, still make fun of them just when they're not in the room. That's the world we live in. I'd rather be criticized for the right things and be a follower of Jesus. That team yesterday, they came back And I I went over behind the stands where they were and I looked at all the parents and I watched the parents pat their kids on the back and say, yes, yes, you did a great job. And on the other side, the parents were patting the kids on the back. You gave a great effort. You worked hard. You'll get a W. Last week, they got a W 42 to 14. Yesterday, they lost 33 to 30. They gave effort. And what I also saw was a lot of people walking out patting each other on the back. Those guys were in those jerseys but weren't in the game. Hear me on this. You are at a church that you have been either blessed or cursed, however you look at it, where we are not going to pat your back on the way to hell. Okay? We want you to live the fullness of the life of following Jesus. Fortuna, sorry, Audentis, Fortuna, Yuva. Faith and the future favor those who are bold in Christ Jesus. Watch this video. Thank you for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Video footage of this sermon and others can be found on foothills.org.